Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, it is our DFS preview for the 2023 U.S. Open. So whether you are playing on DraftKings, if you're playing on FanDuel, uh, or if you're going to be playing one and done this week, we've got you covered here on this podcast. Our goal for the whole week is to make sure that you are covered for whatever action you've got going on for the U.S. Open. So yesterday was our course preview where we talk about the course, Los Angeles Country Club. You can check that out on the YouTube page or um, on the podcast feed if you missed that episode. And kind of talk about the skill set that's required and the architectural features and kind of the quirkiness and the uniqueness of the scorecard that you're going to see here at Los Angeles Country Club. There's going to be some stuff that I reference here in this episode that kind of was covered already in um, the previous one. So if you haven't listened to the course preview, go check it out. Today's episode is going to be all DFS oriented, talking about FanDuel and DraftKings um, and going to be kind of focusing on the guys that I like this week and how to construct lineups this week so that way you can win some money. Um, Yesterday was pretty much objective, facts-based, statistics-based. Today is more opinions and takes and picks and how to construct lineups so that way you can, you know, win yourself some money this week on DraftKings or FanDuel. We're also going to talk a little bit of one-and-done at the end, so make sure you stick around for that if you're playing in any one-and-done contests um, and talk about our basic strategy for this week and kind of what I'm going to be thinking as I head into um, the one and done space this week. Uh, And then lastly, tomorrow's episode, well, maybe not tomorrow, it might be coming Wednesday. I I can't promise that for certain, Um, is going to be talking about best bets, um, talking about drafts and pools. If you're playing in any of those, uh, we're going to have a guest on to discuss that with us here as well. Um, So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast feed, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That way you can be notified when that episode drops. Um, Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please like the video. It helps me out a lot. Uh, and then if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple, please hit that subscribe button. Please rate and review. It really does go a long way. It really does help me out a lot. Now, this week, um, I'm also going to be doing some extra stuff on Underdog. Underdog has a lot of um, action that you can get into on the PGA side of things. Um, you can... Um, do drafts for single rounds. You can also do pickums with individual players. Um, you know, a little bit of higher, lower action with um, some parlays and stuff like that. Um, I personally really enjoy playing underdog. I'm pretty new to it, um, but I will be posting some of my betting slips for underdog um, for some of the pickums um, as we go later on in the week. Um, so. If you're new to Underdog, if you want to give Underdog a try, use my promo code mconley 88 It is on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, um, and you can get your first deposit matched up to $100. It's basically free money. It's basically making your first deposit, like, I don't want to say risk-free because that wouldn't be accurate, but it's basically making it so that way, even if you did lose all of it, you basically have a second chance by that free deposit bonus. Uh, and then also Underdog is pretty much the home of the biggest best ball drafts um, for NFL fantasy football, uh, and there's a lot of best ball stuff going on right now and i've got some best ball content here on this podcast feed as well if you go check later on the feed we're gonna have a lot of season long nfl fantasy football content coming your way this summer as well so if you hit that subscribe button you'll be notified when those episodes drop also all right so i think that's enough with the introduction let's go ahead and get started with this dfs preview but first let's get a quick word from our friends at spotify All right, so we've got some very interesting pricing here this week for the U.S. Open. Uh, I do think that there is, on DraftKings, a very clear top six, though. I think that top six pretty much separates themselves above the rest, and that is Scheffler, Rahm, Kepka, Cantlay, Hovland, and Rory McIlroy. Now, I thought it was kind of surprising to see Rory come in at sixth place in the salaries on DraftKings. Um, however, on FanDuel, he's in fourth, which is kind of more appropriate. He's only behind Scheffler, Rahm, and Kepka. Um, 
I, I just think it's kind of interesting that Rory's behind Cantlay because Rory has actually beaten Cantlay in each of the last two tournaments that both of them played in together, the PGA Championship and the Memorial. Uh, and then you look at their overall histories. Rory's been a lot better in major championships than Cantlay has. Even though Rory hasn't won one in a decade, he's still piling up the top tens, usually, you know, doing so through the back door on the weekend. But that, that's another story. So anyway, Looking at this pricing, it is not overwhelmingly difficult to squeeze in two of these top six guys into one DraftKings lineup because of the soft pricing at the bottom. Um, if you were to go super aggressive and go with Scheffler and Rahm at the top, you'd have a $6,900 average left on DraftKings. And if you were to go to the very bottom of that and go Hovland and McElroy, you'd have an average of $7,500 left on DraftKings. So I don't think it's overwhelmingly difficult to squeeze in two of these six guys. And I think that that's a totally viable strategy this week. It's probably a strategy that I'm going to try for at least a few lineups because I do think that that six has separated themselves above the rest. Now, let's make the case for each of these six guys to go in your lineups. So first up is Scotty Scheffler. Quite simply, he is the best TD green player in this field and it's not even particularly close. He's gaining 3.3 strokes around TD green. Second place is Roy McIlroy at 1.8. So he's nearly doubling the entire field in strokes TD green. He's simply the best golfer in the world right now until he has a putter in his hand. And so I still think that, you know, even with the putting woes, his recent finishes have still been pretty good. He hasn't finished outside of the top 12 since last October uh, at the CJ Cup. And he also has four straight top five finishes, starting with fifth at the Byron Nelson. Uh, and he also has wins at two of the comp courses that I talked about yesterday, which were Augusta National and TPC Scottsdale. And you can kind of see with just how he's done putting, he's lost a combined 13 strokes putting in each of his last two events. Uh, and so if he can just be somewhat decent with the putter, he'll easily win this tournament. Like, that's just what he does. Yeah, he lost 13 strokes putting combined in those two events, and um, he finished third in both those events. That's how good he has been. Now, if you look down the board at John Rahm, John Rahm is the king of California, y'all. He has wins at Torrey Pines, PGA West, and Riviera, all in Southern California. He's this year's Masters champion as well, and we talked about Augusta National as a comp course yesterday. However, currently John Rahm is in a bit of a post-Masters lull. His finishes have just not been as good since he won the Masters back in April. Um, and I kind of think that that's a trend that's been common with a lot of winners of the Masters. The only other Masters champion, well, I shouldn't say other. Let me rephrase. The only Masters champion out of the last nine that won another event in the same calendar year was Jordan Spieth back in 2015, which was the U.S. Open. So pretty much it's not uncommon for guys to not win after the Masters. Currently, that's what John Rahm is facing. I think a lot of people this week on DraftKings are going to click up to Scheffler as opposed to Rahm. So I think you do get the ownership leverage for that. But I do think just apples to apples, I think Scheffler's a better play. I think that has to be said. Now, if you look at Brooks Kepka, Brooks is just the major king. He is the best player in major championships in my lifetime, not named Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson. I don't really think that's up for debate. And obviously, when you look at his statistics, they're not going to really show up very well if you're looking at a whole lot of data websites. And that's because, you know, we don't have a whole lot of numbers from him because he's been playing on the Live Tour. But I don't really think that matters because Brooks, all he ever did when he was on the PGA Tour was just show up for the majors anyway. It's what he's doing now also. So I'm not really worried about Brooks Kepka. I think every kind of argument that someone could make against Brooks Kepka would be narrative-based as opposed to statistics-based. Like the narrative of, oh, he just won the PGA. What's he got to be motivated for? He's, you know, he's going out partying. He's at the Florida Panthers games. Like, whatever. Like, th there's no numbers to quantify.
quantify that, right? Uh, also, there's people that think that, oh, well, you know, all five of his major championships, he played in a tournament the week before. Well, yeah, that's true, but how do we know Brooks Kepka didn't go out and play like some member guest last weekend and, you know, consider that a tournament? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the guy did the week before this tournament. I don't think it matters what he did the week before this tournament. He's a guy that when the majors are going on, you got to get in your lineups because that's just what he does is win majors or finish very well in majors. And I think Brooks Kepka is going to be very popular this week for good reason on DraftKings. Big fan of Brooks Kepka heading into this week. Now, Patrick Cantlay is probably the guy up here that I might be the least excited about. Um, just a combination of things. He hasn't been like elite in his last three starts you know 30th at the memorial which is like you know his best course ever ninth at the pga championship where it was kind of through the back door 21st at the wells fargo where it kind of felt like he should have been better and he also doesn't have great major championship history he only has six career top 15 finishes in majors however the good news is of those six career top 15 finishes in majors Four of them have been his four most recent majors. This year's PGA, ninth. This year's Masters, 14th. Last year's Open Championship, 8th. And then last year's U.S. Open, 14th. So he has been 14th or better in each of the last four majors. And he also plays great in California. So he does have that going for him also. Um, but I just think that there's other guys here I would rather play than Patrick Cantlay. There's nothing wrong with Cantlay, but I would probably rather play the other guys here up top. Now, Victor Hovland, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I would probably be more intrigued to play Victor Hovland if he didn't win at the Memorial, which sounds messed up, but it's kind of true. I think he got a little bit of a price bump, and I think he's going to get a little bit of an ownership bump because of what he did at the Memorial. He's been elite in the majors this year so far, finishing second at the PGA and seventh at the Masters. But what I really liked was how he managed the course at the Memorial. So previously, with what we had seen from Victor at the Masters and the PGA and really a lot of other big-time events that he's been in in his career, is he's an aggressive golfer. He is a guy who is going to fire his approach shots right at pins because he thinks he can stick them close, as opposed to doing what Brooks Kepka does for 90% of major championships, which is I'm just going to aim for the middle of the green, and I'm going to either two-putt for par, or I'm going to sink a 30-foot birdie putt, and I'm going to go about my day. He did a lot more of that at the Memorial than I've ever seen him do it, um, and that's really something that's not super quantifiable. It's just something that watching the tournament you kind of pick up on, but I really liked how he managed the course. I think it'll really serve him well if he can have that kind of discipline and that kind of restraint at a major championship like he did the Memorial. Uh, I really do think the ceiling is very high for Victor Hovland this week, and I really do like him as a play on DraftKings at $10,000. Now, lastly, we got Rory McIlroy, and I'm not going to lie, y'all. I was all ready to fire up like the third-priced, super-low-owned Rory McIlroy this week, but that's kind of not what happened because DraftKings priced him all the way down at $9,900. And I do think that that is going to drive his ownership a little bit up because he's going to be a little bit more affordable. Now, I'm not really discouraged by each of the last two finishes for Rory. Um, I don't think that the setups at either the Canadian Open or the Memorial really were all that great for him. It was a lot of wedges into greens at both of these tournaments, and he really didn't do so hot with them. He's, he gained 0.6 strokes on approach combined in each of those last two tournaments. Um, whereas this course, that's not going to be what LACC is going to be asking you to do. It, you know, LACC is going to be asking you to have a lot of long irons into greens or just a lot of like super precise landing zones that you're going to have to hit from a distance, not with 
you know, like a pitching wedge or a gap wedge. And so the fact that those setups really didn't bode well for him and he still finished top 10 in both, I'm a little bit encouraged about Rory. However, he does kind of have a little bit of a disease like Victor Hovland, like we just talked about, where Rory fires at every pin. Rory is a super aggressive golfer. Uh, he really does go for it. And I do think he's going to need to be a little bit more restrained um, because LACC, if you do miss some of these locations, it can lead to bogeys and doubles very quickly. Now, the next tier on DraftKings kind of starts with Xander Shoffley and kind of goes down to the rest of the 9K range. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit less ownership in this range than with the top six solely because of where they are. I don't think you're going to see a lot of people starting their lineups with this range. However, I do think they're a very natural second man into a lineup if you don't want to go super aggressive and get two of the top six. Now, Xander Shoffley is... Um, it's been pretty impressive in U.S. Opens. If you just look at U.S. Open history in the last five years, Xander Schauffele leads the entire field in strokes gain total. He hasn't finished worse than 14th in each of the last five U.S. Opens. He is also from Southern California, um, which you know kind of plays into that a little bit, right? Like this course is in Los Angeles. So I do think that everything sets up well for Xander Schauffele, um, and I do think he's going to be very popular for good reason this week. Now, Max Homa, to me, if I'm being 100% honest, is more of a narrative-based play than an actual statistical-based play, right? Um, you know, you're going to hear numerous times this week, Max Homa does own the course record at Los Angeles Country Club. He also dominates in California. He's won six times in his PGA Tour career. Uh, four of those have been in California. The other two have been at Wells Fargo Championships. Um, even this year, his two wins were the Farmers at Torrey Pines and the Fortinet Championship at Sonoma. Not Sonoma. Napa? I think Silverado is the name of it. There we go. Sonoma. I think I was believing like it was a NASCAR racetrack or something there. Anyway, um, he dominates California, right? But if you look at it, he does it on Poa Greens. He's a significant, like, better putter on Poa Greens than he is on bent grass or Bermuda grass. Uh, and this is not Poa Greens here at LACC. This is going to be bent grass. So it's not going to play like your typical California course. However, the counter argument would just be instantly he owns the course record here, right? So I definitely think that he's a narrative-based play. He hasn't really shown up lately in tournaments, and he also hasn't ever shown up in major championships. So, I mean... Why would that streak not end at a course where he owns the course record? I don't know, but I just think that you're kind of banking on his greatness in Southern California as opposed to anything he's showing on the golf course right now. Now, Kyle Morikawa, on the other hand, does have a good record in major championships. He does play well in California. He is also not very long off the tee. He's not great off the tee for, for that matter, but this course should mitigate that lack of distance off the tee. And so I think this is a really good spot for Kyle Morikawa. Now, Jordan Spieth is a guy that I like a lot this week. He might be my favorite guy in this kind of lower to mid 9K range. He's coming off of a fifth place finish at the Memorial, which is another course that kind of has some sneaky comps with this one here at LACC. The Memorial Mirfield Village is a long golf course. Um, it is bent grass greens, and it's got kind of wide fairways, and it's super difficult to get up and down at Muirfield Village. That's kind of going to be the case with a lot of what we're going to see this week at LACC. Now, Spieth is also a guy who he just has just this elite shot-making ability. Like, whatever shot is required, he has the talent to go hit it. It's why he plays so well at Augusta year in, year out, because he just has this kind of 
this Jordan Spieth magic where, oh, you need me to flight this chip and land it exactly on that spot or else it's going to roll 70 feet past the hole, done. Or, oh, you need me to hit this draw around this tree so that way I can hit the green, done. Like, he just has all of those shots in his bag. And I kind of tend to like the guys who have all of those shots in their bag at a course that we don't know what it's going to play like exactly. So, um, you know, we used Augusta National as a comp course yesterday. No one's better at Augusta National than Jordan Spieth in the last decade. So I really do really like Jordan Spieth this week. Now, Matt Fitzpatrick's the defending champ, but I don't really know what to make of him. Um, the start of the year, he was quite bad. He was injured at the very start of the year. Um, and so you kind of saw these missed cuts, these withdrawals, like just not good play from Matt Fitzpatrick at the start of the year. However, he brought it back with a 10th place finish at the Masters and immediately won at the RBC Heritage. But then he goes right back to just not being great. 35th at the Wells Fargo, missed cut at the PGA Championship, 9th at the Memorial and 20th at the Canadian Open, though you're kind of starting to see him bring it back. However, if you look at what he did at the Memorial, he has 76 in round one. It, it, um, the RBC Canadian Open, very similar situation, one bad round. So if he could put it together for all four rounds, he could be an option to play this week. He could win this golf tournament, oh, which he did last year. He is the defending champion of this event, if I did not mention that before. Now, Cam Smith is like the last guy in the 9K range. He kind of has a little bit of that speed magic in him, but he is much worse off the tee. He is not a good player off the tee, just, just not. However, he is one of the best approach players and the best chippers and putters on planet Earth. Um, and to me, this is a course that kind of sets itself well for that, right? Like he is going to have wide fairways where he can be a little wild with the driver and still be in the fairway. Um, and his elite approach play, is going to allow him to hit more greens. And when he doesn't hit the greens, his elite short game is going to allow him to get up and down. So I do think this course sets up really well for Cameron Smith there at the bottom of the 9K range. All right, now let's talk about the 8K range. So the 8K range is going to be probably like the most under-owned range this week, in my opinion, on DraftKings. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of people play two guys that are 9K or above. And so you're going to be asked to fill out the rest of your lineups with guys that are in the 7K range as opposed to guys that are in the 8K range if you go up and play two guys above 9K. So I think you're going to see this range kind of largely be ignored and definitely not a whole lot of ownership here. Now, you've got a whole lot of personalities here, right? You've got Tyrrell Hatton, who has got the best recent form out of anybody here not named Scotty Scheffler. Like, he's just playing some great golf recently. You know, third at the Wells Fargo, fifth at the Byron Nelson, 15th at the PGA, 12th at the Memorial, third at the RBC Canadian Open, He's playing some great golf, and he is the recent form guy. If you're a guy who believes in recent form, um, then he probably needs to be in your lineups this week. However, Justin Thomas is like the opposite. His recent form has been utterly terrible, and he hasn't really been great in like any specific way. Like He's been a pretty solid off-the-tee player, pretty solid approach player, but around the green and putting, he's just been quite frankly, bad. And I don't see any sign of that turning around and he's not offsetting it by doing enough off the tee or approach to still be a viable option. So Justin Thomas, like, I don't know, if you're a believer in his talent and his ability level, then go for it. But there's just nothing there in the recent form that makes me believe he's got everything figured out. Now Hideki Mets, oh, I'm sorry, right in the middle of those two, in terms of their recent form and in terms of their price tag on DraftKings is Tony Finau, who won in Mexico, and then instantly made the cut at the PGA right after, but didn't exactly play well. Kind of just blew up over the weekend and kind of just, you know, kind of moseyed on about for a 72nd place finish. And then he misses the cut at the Charles Schwab, which was not great. 
And so you're kind of like wondering, you know, where his game is at, right? But I don't know if it's where the game is at or like what his skill set is. Like I think his skill set fits this course very well because this course is going to ask you to hit a lot of long approach shots, which he's very good at. This course is going to ask you to play a lot of long par fours, which he is very good at. Um, and, you know, he kind of does show up in U.S. Opens. He does have two top 10 finishes in his last five U.S. Open starts back in 2018 and in 2020 at Winfoot. Now, the other three are missed cuts. But two top 10 finishes, he does give you a little bit of a ceiling play um, if you are looking for, you know, good U.S. Open track records. Now, Hideki Matsuyama is very quietly ramping things up. Um, he was in the final pairing on Saturday at the Memorial and kind of very quickly lost that just by with a few bad shots. Like he found the water a few times, just put the ball in the bunker where it couldn't go a few times. And um, it was really a better performance than that 16th place finish indicates, in my opinion. Now, also, he's another guy with a good track record in U.S. Opens. So if we bring that up, he um, has gained 40 total strokes in the last five U.S. Opens. So um, in the last five U.S. Opens, he's not finished worse than 26th place in any of them. Uh, and also, if you look at his profile, bent grass is significantly his best putting service. Well, I guess you could say POA, but bent grass is, you know, better than Bermuda for sure for Hideki. So um, I definitely like the situation that Hideki is in heading into this week. Now, Shane Lowry, to me, is just one of the duh guys. Like, the guys that on Sunday, you're going to be like, oh, duh. Of course he's in the top 10 in a major championship. He's seemingly always in the top 10 in a major championship. That's kind of what he does. Um, and so I kind of, you know, like him for that reason. Um, the other three duh guys that I kind of look down the board and see, um, Tommy Fleetwood, always seems to do this. Justin Rose seems to do this. Adam Scott seems to do it where they're just always seemingly lurking around 10th place in a major championship. And so I don't mind playing any of them for that reason, specifically Shane Lowry. Um, looking a little bit further down the board, Dustin Johnson has probably the highest ceiling of anybody in this range. If you do look at that U.S. Open history, he was second on the list behind Xander Shoffley. Um, and then you know, looking at the PGA, he had a very good first round. He was almost the first round leader and then just kind of ejected over the weekend, like just kind of didn't really seem like he was fully engaged in my opinion. Um, but, you know, if you do get a fully engaged DJ, which by the way, he is from Southern California, so he should be fully engaged for a national open in, you know, not necessarily his hometown, but his home state. So I do think that this, you know, does set up very well for Dustin Johnson. I think he's got probably the highest ceiling of anybody in this AK range. I don't mind him as a play at all. Now, Sam Burns and Jason Day are next up, and they're just kind of meh plays to me. Like, the, the numbers look decent, right? But I just don't really feel them right now. Like, the, the form that they're coming in on isn't great. Yeah, well, Jason Day has the win, but he hasn't done anything since. Um, I do think they will be very under-owned. So if you can talk yourself into Sam Burns or Jason Day, you will have yourself some ownership leverage. Now, I do need to talk about Cam Young, though. He's the last guy in the AK range, and he's had a really terrible run of recent form. Uh, he hasn't finished in the top 50 since the Masters, and he's played in five events since then. He's missed two cuts. But the good news is, is recent form doesn't really seem to matter for Cam Young because the Open Championship last year, where he was the runner-up, he'd had back-to-back missed cuts coming in, one of which was a U.S. Open, by the way. Um, and then a 60th at the Memorial was his only made cut coming in. So I, I don't really think form really matters too much for Cam Young, but it, it's hard to really be a super believer with what he's doing right now. He's just not been great with any other aspect of his game except the driver. The driver's been pretty consistent, um, but I don't really like where the
the rest of his game is at. However, we talked about yesterday, LACC does have some similarities with St. Andrews. And so, you know, if this course does end up playing like St. Andrews, then, or at least a little bit, then maybe, you know, good things could be in store for Cameron Young. All right. Now, let's talk about the 7K range, which I'll be honest, y'all, the 7K range is pretty good this week. I think there's a lot of options this week, and I think it's going to be very tough to see major, major chalk in the 7K range, like we did the PGA Championship. At the PGA Championship, everybody was on Wyndham Clark, Ricky Fowler, and Gary Woodland, um, which could quite possibly be the case again this week. But I do think that there's so many options in the 7K range that there probably shouldn't be any guy in this range that's going to be over 25% owned. Now, starting with Tommy Fleetwood, he's coming off of his runner-up finish at the Canadian Open. Historically, plays well in majors. He'll be popular. Corey Connors, elite ball striker, great recent form. He'll be popular. Justin Rose, great track record in majors. He'll be popular. Now, Bryson DeChambeau is probably the most divisive of plays this week. I think his game's in a really good spot right now, though. He's coming in off two straight top tens on the Live Tour and fourth at the PGA Championship, and his distance will be a massive advantage this week. Now, the question will be if he can avoid the big miss. When he won his major at winged foot, the big, fit, the big miss did not matter because it was just grass. Like, it was rough. Like, rough was rough at winged foot, whether you were five yards off the fairway or 50 yards off the fairway. LACC, yes, the fairways are going to be much wider than winged foot. Winged foot, they were like the width of a hallway. At LACC, they're going to be pretty darn wide. But if you miss big, you're going to be dealing with the barranca. You're going to be dealing with a natural area or, you know, trees, or rough. So I do think that you're going to have to avoid the big miss this week. So if Bryson can just kind of own it in a little bit and avoid the big miss with the driver, I think Bryson can set up very well for Los Angeles Country Club. Now, $7,500 exactly on DraftKings has some guys that could probably be considered the 7K chalk this week. You got Ricky Fowler, who missed the cut at the PGA Championship, but other than that, he's got six top 15 finishes in his last seven starts. The other one was the miscut at the PGA Championship. So six top 15s, miscut at the PGA. Ricky Fowler coming in off one of the best runs of form in his career. Wyndham Clark, to me, is a little bit of a misprice. I would probably have put him up near $8,000 if I was DraftKings. Um, the miscut at the PGA was his only poor finish in the last two months. Um, to me, he sets up very well for this course because he is very long off the tee. Um, he is great on approach, ranks fourth in the field in the last 36 rounds. And he scores well at long golf courses, scores well on long golf holes. So Wyndham Clark really liked this week. And then Adam Scott, we already mentioned, he's one of those duh major players. Like, of course he's going to play well. He always plays well in the majors, it seems like. Uh, Patrick Reed is going to be the guy that nobody is going to play. Um, Just because A, people don't like Patrick Reed. B, there are a lot of other options at this price tag and above. And I kind of think there's a little bit of merit to playing him this week because this course does have a little bit of Augusta in it. So, you know, that little short game that he has, his distance off the tee is going to be mitigated a little bit. I think it could set up well for Patrick Reed. I really do. Um, And I do think he's a great ownership leverage over the rest of the other guys at $7,500. Now, looking further down the board, there are some guys I like at $7,200. First, I really do have some interest, or I'm sorry, $7,300 first is Siwoo Kim. I really do have some interest in him this week. Um, He's been a great ball striker recently. Bentgrass is his best putting surface, plays well at difficult courses, checks a lot of boxes this week at $7,300. Now, Mito Pereira is a guy who really showed up on a lot of important stats for me this week. Uh, He is great on long approach shots. He is great on long par fours. 
Uh, and his major championship track record, it's pretty young, but he was four, er, third at last year's PGA. You know, he had it one through 71 holes and then decided to hit driver right into the water at Southern Hills. Um, and then 18th at this year's PGA. And then recent form seems to be pretty good. He was third in the last live event. So I really do like Mito Pereira coming in this week. Cam Davis is a high-risk, high-reward player. Tie for fourth at the PGA. Missed the cut in both starts since. Bentgrass is his best putting surface by far. It's kind of like crazy how statistically better he is on Bentgrass than on other surfaces. Um, and he plays decently at difficult golf courses. But he's just super high risk, super high reward. You don't really know what you're going to get about Cam Davis. But if you do get a fourth place finish like you got at um, you know, the PGA Championship, then he's going to be a great play. Harris English, deceptively, two top fives in the last three U.S. Opens. At uh, Torrey Pines, he finished third. At Winged Foot, he finished fourth. Deceptively good U.S. Open finish. And then you got Gary Woodland here at $7,200, who was T10 at the U.S. Open last year. Oh, and he also has a U.S. Open victory back in 2019 at Pebble Beach. If those three end up becoming a little bit chalky at $7,200, if they do end up becoming a little bit higher owned, I do like some guys. Oh, and I forgot to mention Denny McCarthy. Denny McCarthy did have a good finish last year. Um, T7 at the U.S. Open. uh, Played well at the Memorial. Probably should have won the Memorial, if we're being totally honest. Um, That's another firm and fast golf course. We talked about some of the similarities there uh, when we were talking about Jordan Spieth. Um, So if those three do end up becoming pretty chalky, you got this little $7,100 range that's got a lot of guys that kind of have some merit to play in them. You got Ryan Fox, who's super long off the tee, elite driver of the golf ball. You got Seth Straka, who tends to play really well at difficult golf courses, elite level approach player. You got Russell Henley, who's been playing well recently. You got Justin Suh, a California guy who's been playing well recently and can run really hot with the putter. Um, and then you also have Chris Kirk, who does his best work at difficult golf courses, really good around the greens. So there's a lot of players in this bottom of the 7K range that I really like, which is why I kind of mentioned earlier, you can really start your lineup up. You can start your lineup off aggressive at the top and then, you know, fill it with these low 7K guys near the end. Then at exactly 7K, you've got some guys that are pretty good also. Austin Ekro and Aaron Cole coming in off great recent form. They're playing some really good golf. You got Minwoo Lee, who has two top 20 finishes in the last five major championships that he's played. Um, the stats don't really bode super well for Minwoo, but he does tend to elevate his game in big fields. Um, and so that would be you know worth considering in my opinion. However, when you get below $7,000, it gets pretty ugly. Um, the guys I like down here, you got Hayden Buckley, who's just an elite driver of the golf ball. Very mixed bag of recent form, however. You got Patrick Rogers, California guy who has not missed the cut in the last five U.S. Opens, um, which I do think is worth mentioning. Um, two T31s and a T41 for Patrick Rogers. Uh, and then you also have a few other recent form guys. You got Carson Young, you got Adam Schenk. And then you also have Michael Kim running pretty good on recent form. Those three um, are worth mentioning. Uh, one guy I do really like a lot, and I do think he will be popular, is Kirk Kitayama. Um, he was top five at the PGA Championship. He won at Bay Hill earlier this year in very major-esque conditions. Um, he is super high risk, though. He's missed five of his last seven cuts. Um, but he is a guy who has shown the ability to play well on firm and fast golf courses, to play well on major championship golf conditions. So I do like Kirk Kitayama. And then heading down the board, it, it's slim pickings once you head beneath that little first little burst of guys. You got Sam Stevens, a guy we talk about on this podcast a lot, plays really well at long golf courses. Sam Bennett 
has to be regarded as a legitimate like competitor now. Um, you know, he had the great run at the Masters, but he, you know, hasn't played a whole lot of events on tour, but he's played them well. Like he made the cut at the US Open last year, 49th place, 16th at the Masters, we all remember that. Made the cut at the Memorial and then 20th at the RBC Canadian Open last week. Sam Bennett is a legitimate guy that like we have to start thinking about now. Uh, and then I probably wouldn't go any lower than Dylan Wu. Dylan Wu comes in at $6,400, playing some really good golf. He's got four top 25s in his last seven starts. All right, so that does it for the DFS section. Let's take a quick breather, and then let's talk some one and done. All right, so let's talk a little bit of one and done strategy before we end this episode. So this is not the week to hold anything back. This is a major championship. It's a big-time purse. Um, you want to maximize this week because a lot of money up for grabs. You can really make up some ground if you have the right pick in your one and done contest this week. Now, to me, this is the last call for Max Homa. Um, there is not another natural spot on the schedule to play Max Homa. Um, we talked about how he does own the course record here. Um, he does have a poor record in major championships, but to me, if you got him left, I don't really see another spot that you're going to want to use him. Maybe a FedEx Cup playoff event. I don't know. But I do think this is a pretty good spot for him. And if you really want to use Max Home, it's, it's a good week to use him. Now, I do think this is a better than average spot for Cantlay, Shoffley, Hovland, Spieth, and Morikawa. I think any of this little group right here on the odds board, I think this is a great spot for all of them, right? Now, I don't really see another natural spot on the schedule for any of those five. Maybe Patrick Cantlay at the BMW Championship. Maybe Hovland um, at a playoff event. Maybe Shoffley at the Scottish Open, which he won last year, or the Travelers, which he won last year. But I don't think there's a natural home for any of these guys on the schedule um, You know, if you want to use one of them this week. Now, obviously, Scotty... Rom, Rory, you can use those guys anywhere. They're going to be great at any golf course. And so uh, I probably, unless you're really being aggressive this week, I probably wouldn't use them just because there are opportunities down the road where you're going to have to use them because, like I said, you can use them pretty much anywhere. Now, if you're of the strategy where you want to play live guys in the majors, right, you've probably used Brooks Kepka already. If you didn't use him at Augusta, hopefully you used him at the PGA where he won. And you've probably used Dustin Johnson already just because on paper he is one of the best guys on live and has a good major championship record, right? So I'm assuming that you used both of those if you've been playing the live major strategy. If you have not, play Brooks Kepka because like he's won the U.S. Open twice. Um, you're only going to get one other opportunity to play him this year. Use Brooks Kepka this week if you have him. That is my ring endorsement. Now, if you have played Kepka in DJ, which I haven't won one and done contest, Cam Smith, this is not a bad spot for. Bryson DeChambeau, this is not a bad spot for. And then Patrick Reed, I also think is a sneaky pick. If you're really trying to gain ground this week, I really think you can go all the way down to Patrick Reed, and that would be like the sneaky, no one's going to play him type pick right? Um, otherwise, I think if you're going with the live guys in the major strategy, which I think a lot of people are, you got Cam Smith, you got Bryson. I think it's a good spot for both of them. Um, I'm probably going to be playing Cam Smith in one of them and Bryson in another one this week, just being totally honest, just because, you know, we are getting later on in the schedule. Um, there's, you know, a one and done where I do have Scotty left. There's a one and done where I do have Rom left, but I think there's other spots on the schedule where you can play them. Um, the live guys, 
you know, you only got two more opportunities to play them. So why not go ahead and go for it when they've been pretty good in the first two majors? Bryson obviously missing the cut at the Masters, but fourth at the PGA. Cam Smith making the cut at the Masters and then backdoor top 10 at the PGA. So I really do think it's a good spot for both of them. Those would probably be the guys that I would endorse in terms of one and done strategies this week. Just know that they are likely to be popular. If you're needing to gain ground and you're going with the live strategy, it's probably Patrick Reed. Um, if you're needing to gain ground and you're not going with the live strategy, there's a whole lot of names that you could pick, honestly. Uh, it'll depend on who you have available, in my opinion. Um, and then, like I did say, though, if, if you have Brooks Kepka, use him. Like, that is my ringing endorsement. I don't have Brooks Kepka needed my one and done. Fortunately, I played him at the PGA, where he won. But if you have Brooks Kepka left, use him. That is my ringing endorsement for one and done strategy. All right, so that does it for the U.S. Open 2023 DFS preview. Hopefully, we gave you guys a lot of information that you can use to help build your lineups, um, that you can use to make your one-done selections for this week also. Um, Now, keep in mind, come back tomorrow or Wednesday, date TBD, but we are going to have a guest on. We are going to talk about best bets. um, We are going to talk about pools, and we are going to talk about drafts for the U.S. Open. So if you're doing any of that action, make sure you stick around. Um, hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified when that episode drops, um, and you can listen to that before the U.S. Open um, tees off on Thursday. All right, that's all we got for today, guys. Like I said, hopefully we got you guys plenty of information that you can use to make yourself some money this week. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time.